Would you take uh, the Word of God this evening and turn with me to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus in chapter uh, 22, Exodus and uh, chapter 22. We have uh, been dealing with the judgments of the Lord. Remember, they began in chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. And so the judgments of the Lord are uh, the one aspect of the law that the judges are to use to uh, determine in cases with regards to the, the, the social affairs of the children of Israel who are functioning under a theocracy and uh, how the judges or the rulers of that day were to uh, put a difference between those who were uh, righteous, those who were wrong, and he need, who needed to be punished, and those who were right and needed to be rewarded. Uh, and we've uh, come to the last portion of Exodus chapter 22. And before we read this uh, portion, we have seen in both chapter 21 and chapter 22 that there are consequences that are to be instituted for the transgression of those judgments. And uh, we saw that there are two aspects of that, that in part some of the judgment or the consequences is to be carried out by the people of Israel, the, the judges, those who are judges, the magistrates, the rulers, they are to carry out the punishment for the violation of God's holy law. We saw last week, though, that with several judgments, God said that He Himself will be the personal avenger of those who violate these specific judgments. And we noted here that um, just like Acts when Ananias and Sapphira deceived the church, lied to the Holy Ghost, God made an example of them. It's not that God, every time somebody deceives the church or lies to the Holy Ghost, that God will kill them. But it does let us know what God thinks about it. And when we look at those judgments, what we have here is what God thinks about these things. Uh, some are to be judged by the judges in the land. God, in some respects, says He will be the personal avenger of those who violate uh, the law in certain respects. And now we come to the last portion. But in this last portion, we notice something a little different, beginning in verse 28. So Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28. Let's read together here. Uh, Exodus chapter 22 and verse 28, if you'd like to follow along as I read. Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. Likewise, Shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep seven days it shall be with his dame. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me. 
And ye shall be holy men unto me, neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. I'm going to make some preliminary statements here about those judgments, and then we're going to go and start digging in them. But there's something about these specific judgments that are different than what we have seen thus far. The first thing we note as we read them is that with these judgments, there are no consequences mentioned. Right? Do you see that? There are no consequences mentioned for violating these commandments or those judgments. The second thing we will note is that these judgments address the private, uh, a private transgression rather than a public transgression. And, and I'll explain it as, as we go through. And thirdly, we see that these judgments address the transgression primarily of the heart. Now, as we begin here through those judgments, and I'll, um, there are several things that we see that I think we need to study out so that we have a clear understanding of those things. And so we're going to study a few of those things out and come back to those statements that I made. Uh, but the first thing that we noted is that these judgments, uh, there are no consequences that are mentioned. If you remember, the reason why I say that is because as we've looked at the judgments that are mentioned throughout this very chapter, and also in the previous chapter, in chapter 21, we see that there are consequences that are carried out. For example, if you go back with me in uh, chapter 22, notice in verse 20, he says, He that sacrificeth unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. That's the consequences of uh, offering a sacrifice to a false god. Uh, notice with me in uh, chapter 22, verse 19, Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. That's the consequences. Uh, notice verse 18. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Uh, back in uh, verse 1, chapter 22, verse 1. If a man shall steal an ox or a sheep and kill it or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So the point I'm making here is when you find a judgment, if you violate this judgment, here are the consequences. In certain cases, he says it's death. In certain cases, it's a restitution. And the restitution is greater than um, the amount of the violation in the sense of an oxen. You don't restore one oxen. You restore fivefold or fourfold. Uh, even in, back in chapter 21, notice verse 12. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And so all throughout chapter 21 and chapter 22, we see that God extends the authority to judge to those who were act as judges in the nation of Israel towards the transgressions of the transgression of the of the law. And so he says, here are the consequences that are to be meted out to those who are violators of the law. We also saw in chapter 22 that God not only extends his authority to judge and to bring about a sentence upon those who violate those judgments. But then we also see in chapter 22, verse 24, that God in certain cases says that he himself will not delegate that, but he himself will take it upon himself to execute revenge, vengeance. And if you notice with me 
in chapter 22 and notice verse 24. Um, well, let's uh, begin verse 22. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If ye afflict them in any wise and they cry at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath shall wax hot and I will kill you. Now notice God here specifically says, I will take it upon myself to kill you. I will exercise revenge. And so we've seen all throughout chapter 21, all throughout chapter 2, up until uh, verse 20, God says, I'm delegating the authority so that you may carry out a sentence upon those who are violators. And so as a judge, you have the right to do that. I'm giving you that authority. Here, in this case, in verse 21, uh, 22 through 24, God says, I'm going to take care of that. But now we come to verse 28 through the end of the chapter, there are no consequences mentioned. If you notice again, don't revile the gods, nor curse the rulers of thy people. No consequences mentioned. Thou shalt not delay to offer of the first of the ripe fruits and of the liquors. The firstborn of thy son shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep seven days. It shall be with his uh, dame on the eighth day. Thou shalt give it me. Again, no consequences to those who delay. No consequences or those who revile or curse. No consequences of those who delay. Uh, and verse 31, And ye shall be holy men unto me. Uh, verse 31, Neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to dogs. Again, no consequences to those who violate this specific judgment. Although there are no consequences mentioned, there is always a consequence for violating the judgments of God. They may not be mentioned here, but God lets us know that He dislikes, but He indicates to us that these are more of the private life, concern the private life and not the public life. For example, in this chapter we've seen, we've talked about those who steal an oxen. Those who strike another man. Uh, those who oppress and afflict the widow and the fatherless and the poor. And so those are specific behaviors towards a fellow human being. And there are consequences that are to be carried out. But here, none of those involve one's behavior towards another human being. They deal rather with the matters of the heart. The private matters that other people might not be able to observe but nonetheless, God says they are present. So consequences are not here mentioned for the transgressions as they've been all throughout chapter 21 and chapter 22. But these verses before us, although there are no consequences, are still wrong. And here's why I say that is because often we, we may measure our lives as often people do. And often you find the unbelieving world behaving that way. They'll do something vile and wicked. And they'll say something like this. Well, see, God didn't strike me dead. So therefore, I must be all right. Or therefore, it must not be wrong. Or therefore, uh, it's not that bad. And, and sometimes as believers, we, we can behave that way. Maybe we could say, well, look, I've, I've been involved in sin for a long time. I've had this besetting sin. I haven't got victory over it. And uh, God hasn't judged me and we might then become okay with our sin 
But God mentions those because He wants the people not just to think about their behavior towards someone else, but God addresses these judgments to His people because He wants them to think, I believe, and to emphasize to them that they must not be concerned just about their behavior that is visible towards other men, but they have to be concerned about their hearts. And how is the condition of their heart manifested? It's manifested in the way that he expresses in those verses. We see that these judgments address uh, not just here the, uh, that there are no consequences, but they address a private transgression rather than a public transgression. If you notice verse 28, he says, Thou shall not revile the gods. I'm going to talk about the gods here in just a moment, so don't get impatient here. We're going to talk about that, what that, what that means. But to revile here is, means to make light of, to hold someone in contempt, or we might say it is someone who despises the other part. Now he mentioned the gods, he mentions then verse 20, nor curse the ruler of thy people. And if we attach the idea of reviling or despising, holding someone in contempt with cursing him, and I believe because of the context, he deals with cursing someone in your heart. Holding someone in contempt inside or uh, maybe you think about uh, here a ruler among the people of God and uh, you think that the ruler is not doing what he ought to do and so you uh, maybe in the privacy of your home you curse the ruler. And God says you should not do that. He says in verse 29, Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits. Now, here I believe we'll find this principle as he instituted the, the tithe and what is to be tithed. And the tithe was not just 10%, but uh, it was all of all thine increase. And so if it was a harvest time, they would set apart 10% of the field of what they would harvest and they would bring the first fruit to the Lord. Before they did anything with anything else, they would bring the first portion to God. And here he says... Don't delay in bringing the first fruit. And here he says delay is a transgression of the judgments of God. But how does somebody know that somebody delays? Right? That's something that some, someone does in the privacy of their home. Uh, how do you know that they've delayed? They're going to bring it eventually. God doesn't say, if you don't bring it, I'm going to judge you. He says, if you delay to bring it. Well, somebody who delays, I think the word here, delay, means to loiter, to procrastinate, to defer to another time, to tarry, to be slow about it. And God says, don't delay to bring the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors, the firstborn of thy son shalt thou give unto me. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with his uh, dame. On the eighth day thou shalt give it me. And so, for example, with the oxen, well, somebody who's a neighbor may not know when the uh, particular uh, oxen was born, but he knows, and he knows when he is to, to fulfill and to bring the first fruit to the Lord. He only knows that, and God says, don't delay. Verse 31, he talks about when ye, uh, and ye shall be holy men unto me, neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts. Notice, in the field ye shall cast it to the dogs. And the idea here again is someone who is out in the field, he is by himself and he sees a carcass that's been 
devoured by a beast. And he says, do not partake of that. If you see it as, oh, I can use that opportunity to consume the meat. I, maybe he was out hunting. And he finds a, a, a beast that's been devoured by another beast. He says, don't touch that meat. And so the, the man might be tempted in that moment to do that. And so what I'm saying is that all of those judgments address the, uh, a, a private transgression more than a public transgression. That is like striking a man or afflicting a widow or a fatherless child or um, stealing an oxen. Somebody that affects somebody else. These, notice transgression, do not affect somebody else. They do not affect a fellow Israelite. And so they deal with private transgressions. By the way, when we think about delay, you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 60. He says, I made haste, I delayed not to keep thy commandments. And there is a case to be made that when we delay in obeying the Lord, that we are actively disobeying the Lord. Delay is disobedience. We teach our children that, do we not? Do you teach your children that? Okay, all right. Yeah, we teach our children that. Go clean your room. And they go outside. So while I'm getting to it, I'm not disobeying. I'm, no, you are disobeying. Delay is disobedience. We talked about during summer Bible school that uh, uh, obedience, what is obedience, children? You remember what, what you learned in summer Bible school, children? David, what did you? What was it? What is true obedience? Uh, doing it right away. Doing it immediately. Completely. Completely. And with, right and with the right heart attitude. Right. That's obedience. Delay is disobedience. Now, there's a third aspect to that, and that is that these judgments address the transgression of the heart. And so, the first one is revile not in verse 28. Now, I would like to. Uh, look closely here at verse 28 and uh, we're going to go on a rabbit trail. It's not a rabbit trail because it's connected to the verse, but I want us to make sure we understand what he's saying. When he says, verse 28, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. Okay, so wait a minute. We, we've seen already uh, since chapter 20 uh, that the the command of God is pretty clear concerning false gods. The, this judgment here commands the children of Israel not to revile the gods, but we go back to the first commandment that's given. And remember, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And when we study that commandment, we determine that it means uh, that there, there, you cannot regard any other gods at all. It's not that God is just first, and then you can have other gods. It's that it's God and God alone, no other gods in my presence. In chapter 20, verse 23, says, Ye shall not make me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold, no gods at all. In chapter 22, verse 20, in this very chapter, he said, He that sacrificeth unto any god, save unto the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. We go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2, and the Bible says, Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. Uh, it's interesting when we read through the book of 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, uh, you have a host of bad kings. After the kingdom was divided, northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, most of the kings in both the north and the southern kingdom were evil kings. 
And there's a going back and forth. The evil kings, they restored the groves. They brought back the idols and so forth. And the godly kings got rid of the groves and they got rid of the idols. And uh, they uh, fulfilled the command of Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2, that you're going to destroy all of those places. So when we come here to verse 28, thou shalt not revile the gods. Is he talking about the gods that we've been talking about? No. I don't think here he can be referring to the same gods that have been utterly condemned. The word God or gods in the general sense throughout the Old Testament scriptures refers to this. A God is someone who is a magistrate, someone who is great, someone who is a judge, someone who is mighty. And we've seen this actually already, the idea of that, in the book of Exodus, when God himself was speaking to Moses back in Exodus chapter 4. So go there with me. So in this very book of Exodus, we find the idea that a God can be referred to as a man. Now, this is small g God. This is not Jehovah God. There's only one God. We understand that. But in practical application on the earth, who are gods? <clears throat> So go with me to this Exodus chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, and he shall be, well, the Lord is speaking to Moses. Uh, if you go back to verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what ye shall do. Verse 16. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people and he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth and thou shalt be to him, notice, instead of God. Now, uh, hold your place here. Go with me to Exodus chapter 7. So, the Lord says to Moses, you're going to be to Aaron, God. In other words, because the words of God are going to be communicated through Moses to Aaron, then Aaron is going to communicate those words to the Pharaoh. And so basically Moses stands as God because he has the words of God to Aaron. Now we go to chapter 7, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord said unto Moses, now this is the Lord speaking. See, I have made thee a what? A God to Pharaoh. Is Moses God? No, he is not God, Jehovah God. But God says, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, thy brother, shall be thy prophet. And so we've seen already in this book already, the Old Testament prophets, those who spoke on behalf of God, those who carried with them the authority of God, and here's how they carry the authority of God, because the words of the Lord were in their mouths. Now, in the book of Jeremiah, for example, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Let's look at one of the prophets in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 1. The opening chapter of Jeremiah, notice Jeremiah chapter 1. Notice verse 7. 
But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee, notice, over the nations and over the kingdoms. Now, understand that expression. He says, Jeremiah, I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. Is Jeremiah controlling the nations and the kingdoms? No. But God says, Jeremiah, I have given you authority over the nations and the kingdom. Notice, to do what? To root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And so, uh, basically, God says to Jeremiah, you are my spokesman, uh, Jeremiah. I have given you authority. You're going to stand, Jeremiah, in my place. So, in this sense, now understand very carefully, Jeremiah would be a small g, God, to the nation's and to the kingdoms. I say that because of what Jesus said in John chapter 10. So go with me to John chapter 10. What did Jesus say about the Old Testament prophets? Go with me to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, we have Jesus Christ going back and forth with the scribes and the Pharisees. And uh, he, uh, remember, made the statement, I am hath sent me. And so they we're ready to take up stone and to stone him. We come to John chapter 10 and verse 33. Notice what the scripture says. <clears throat> John 10 and verse 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are, what is it? Gods? What is he referring to? If he called them gods, who is he talking about? If God called them gods, who did God call gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. So Jesus here refers back to the Old Testament prophets. His God said that these men were gods, not Jehovah God, not replacing God, but who stood for God, who stood with God's words, who stood with God's message. That's what Jesus said. So we go back after taking this detour around the scriptures. We come back to Exodus chapter 22, having uh, an understanding here of uh, hopefully uh, some of the context in the whole of the Bible. And we see here that this judgment is thou shalt not revile the gods. And we understand that apart from false gods, they are to be completely destroyed. There is no other god. Uh, that gods may refer to those who stand in the place of God. Those who have the words of God in their mouth. Those who have the authority of God. Just like God said to Moses, you're going to be to Pharaoh a god. Not that Pharaoh's going to listen to you, but you are going to carry the authority of God with you, Moses, because my words are going to be in your mouth. So, he says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse, here it is, the ruler of thy people. The word gods can refer to those who are 
God's spokesmen, but it can also refer to those who are magistrates, those who are judges. Here he refers to also the word ruler of thy people. And you find that this word is often found communicated in the context when he's talking about those who judge the people in the Old Testament. So when we come to this here, he says, don't revile, here's what he's saying, those who are God's spokesmen. Now here, the context here of Exodus chapter 21 and 22 is the judgments of God. The judgments of God are given to those who will be judges among the people of Israel. And so the direct application for them at that time is don't revile, don't despise, don't hold in contempt those who are God's representative, those who exercise judgment over you, those who are ruling over the people of God, don't revile them. Again, that's the attitude of the heart. Don't revile them. Nor curse the ruler of thy people. Notice there, there is no judgment attached to that. But it is a judgment nonetheless. Now, for application, as I've said throughout those judgments, we are not the nation of Israel. We are the New Testament church. We do not live under the Old Testament judicial law, but we learn from that some things about God. And what we do learn in the New Testament, without me spending uh, too much time, is when we come to the New Testament, let me turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'll just give you one example. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So notice with me 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5. Notice what he says um, in verse 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as also ye do. And we beseech you brethren to know them which labor among you and are what? Over you in the Lord and admonish you. So here the word and those who are over you we might say back he uses the word, don't curse those who rule over you. And so he says, to know them which labor among you and over you and the Lord and admonish you. And here he says, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And I preached when we went through the book of First Thessalonians, I preached through this and I mentioned that uh, those who are God's spokesperson who preach and who teach the Word of God, they should not be despised. They should be here highly esteemed. That's what he says. And he says after that, and be at peace among yourselves. And so the idea here is that uh, you want discord in the church, despise, hold in contempt those who teach and preach the Word of God. Those who are uh, God's... Uh, representatives don't revile don't curse you see those who are representatives of God are there as God's representatives to be able to help he mentions here those who admonish you uh, in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 we go back to Exodus those who are rulers those are those who would admonish them 
who, who, would, who would tell them where they've gone wrong, who would tell them uh, how to correct things in their lives. And so in the same vein, we think about those throughout all uh, biblical revelation, we find that both in the Old and the New Testament, God appoints those uh, to be His spokesmen, to minister to the people of God, so that they can receive from God what they need, and He says, don't despise them. Right, Hebrews puts it this way, Obey them that have the rule over you. Why? Because they watch for your souls. Doesn't mean, again, I've said this before, doesn't mean, hey, whatever they say, you need to do it. No, it's talking the context. There is the teaching, those who faithfully teach and preach the Word of God, you need to obey the Word of God. You submit yourself to the Word of God and to the authority of God's Word. You're not, the, the, the preacher in himself, understand, Moses in himself did not have any authority. The, the, the preacher of the New Testament, the apostles, did not have any authority of themselves. But God revealed to them what He wanted the people to know. Here are those judgments themselves. How are they communicated? God gave those judgments to Moses. Moses gave those judgments to the people. The judges are to carry out those judgments. It comes from God. And so, he, here's what happens. When He says, don't revile the gods, or curse the rulers of thy people. Here's what can happen. When any time there is human involvement, there is the certainty of shortcomings and failures. Let me say that again. Wherever there is human involvement, there is the certainty of failures and shortcomings. All of us, by the way, as Christians, at some point we've, we've failed. <laughs> uh, there's been some shortcomings and failures in our lives. Uh, we, go to, we could go all throughout the Scriptures and, and we can go to the failures of many. We could go to David and we could go to Abraham. Uh, we could go to Isaac and we could go to Jacob. We could go even in the New Testament to Peter. We could go to the disciples and discuss all the disciples. The point is that uh, there are shortcomings and failures. But what I'm saying to you is when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost about Jesus Christ, the people did not have the right to use the shortcomings of Peter in order to not listen to his message. And often human nature is to look at the messenger in all of his imperfection so that we might justify the discounting of his message. So we justify the discounting of his authority. And here's the truth. You, tell, you take a pastor of the church, a pastor of any church is imperfect. And so what I'm saying to us so that we might apply kind of this, what God's mind is to his people Israel at that time and what God's mind is for his people today is not to use the failures and the shortcomings of those who are God's representatives to justify our disobedience when they preach and teach the Word of God. Well, I'm not going to listen to what he says because he's imperfect. The truth is, whether it is someone who is delivering the message of God who is imperfect, the truth is the listener also is imperfect. And so God says here, He says, watch your attitude and your spirit 
towards the gods. I know it's weird to say that every time I say it to the gods, but to, to the rulers, the judges of the nation. Don't curse the rulers. And uh, the idea here is when you're in your private life, watch your heart. Uh, if you begin to despise or to hold in contempt, be very careful. Why? Because he knows, God knows, that the moment we hold somebody in contempt, we will not listen to what they say. We will not listen to what they say. Uh, we know, by the way, that that happens. Um, let me give you an application here when you have children and parents. You see, children, they know that their parents are imperfect. But just because a parent is imperfect does not mean that the child no longer has to listen to his parents. In all of his imperfection, he tries to teach his children and instruct his children the right things. And the child does not have the opportunity to say, well, because you're imperfect in this era, therefore I will not listen to you concerning the things that are right. And so the first command for the children is, honor thy father and thy mother. Obey thy father and thy mother. The disposition of the child ought to be, I'm holding this person honor. I know that they are imperfect, but God has given them, that, them to me to instruct me and to teach me and to bring me up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so in the same way here, God knows that if the hard disposition is not right, it, uh, that person will not be able to be ministered unto by those who are rulers in the nation of Israel. So here's what God says to His people. You've got to watch your attitude toward, towards those who are instructing you, to those who are judges among you, to those who are rulers among you, to, towards those who are God's representatives. Because here, I, I don't understand, but God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. That, that's what, I don't understand it, but that's what God said. That's what God has chosen. It's the avenue that God has chosen, by the way, to speak to His people. And so we have to be careful not to use any pretext. One of those is the imperfection of those who serve as God's representatives. Moses, by the way, it's interesting that Moses in all of his failures, <laughs> even, at, even when God said, well, uh, I'll have Aaron speak for you, uh, he still says to Moses, you're going to be a God to Pharaoh. In all of your imperfections, in all of your inabilities, you're still, Moses, going to be my representatives, my representative." To Pharaoh. So we see that uh, reviling concerns the heart. He says, Watch your heart. God is not just interested in their behavior, He's even interested in things that in the nation of Israel, when someone's heart is reviling or despising a ruler or a judge in the nation, nobody knows it. But God does. God does. And that's the point. He said, There are no consequences to this, to the violation of this judgment. But certainly you will not benefit from them as you should if you revile and you curse them. Uh, then he goes on to say in verse 29, uh, Thou shalt not delay. So the first is don't revile. The second is uh, don't delay. Now here he says, Thou shalt not delay to offer the first of thy ripe fruits and of thy liquors. <laughs> the word liquors here. Uh, it simply means the juice produced by any fruit. Okay? It doesn't refer to alcoholic beverage. As a matter of fact, this uh, word in the plural form is that's the only time this word is found in, the, in all of the Old Testament. Okay? And uh, that word, the, the word liquor basically means the fruit, the, the juice that's pressed out from the fruit. That's what it means. It doesn't have a, 
the word liquor singularly is used twice in the Old Testament speaking to alcoholic beverages. But here it talks of liquors, anything that's pressed from the fruit of the vine. Now, I mentioned this morning, I'm going to preach a series through why uh, believers should not drink any alcoholic beverages. I'll preach all that. I'm getting ready to prepare those messages. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but the point here is that it is delay. It's not about the liquors here. I'm going to preach a message on that. But it's about delaying the first fruit. Um, he also says, not just the first fruit, but verse 20, uh, 29 at the end, he says, The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. Uh, now, he's referring here back to Exodus chapter 13 when he first instituted this. Go back with me to chapter 13 of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 13, <clears throat> notice with me in verse 1. Uh, by the way, they, uh, they're talking here about uh, back in chapter 12. Um, you have uh, chapter 12 is all about the Passover. And um, the Passover and then the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it is not only practiced, but then it is commanded. It happens. We come to chapter 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. So God had already alluded to that to Moses back in Exodus chapter 13. Here he brings it up in this judgment. But here he mentions specifically the idea of don't delay the first fruit. Don't delay to bring your firstborn son to give your firstborn son unto me. Uh, in verse 30, he talks about the oxen and the sheep, and he speaks specifically of the seven days it shall be, and on the eighth day thou shalt give it me. And, and so this is about, uh, to put it more, more, more broadly, this is about acknowledging the Lord first, and not to delay in acknowledging the Lord first. The Lord is to be the most important one. The Lord is... He from whom all blessings flow. And so he ought to be acknowledged first. And here he goes, look, nobody might know that you're delaying, but I know that you're delaying. Don't delay. What does, what, what does delay communicate? It communicates a heart that's not right towards God. As I mentioned the uh, psalm earlier, you remember the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 60 says, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. Now why would he say that? I will not delay because when God said it and he knows it, he ought to do it. Uh, delay, as I mentioned the word, it means to loiter, to procrastinate, to defer to another time, to tarry. So what he says here is, don't procrastinate, don't wait to bring the first fruit. In other words, here might be the, the idea. The first fruit, oh, he, they collect all the grapes. Harvest is coming, we get all the grapes, and uh, well, let's, uh, let's uh, tabulate and see how many grapes we've had. And when you gather all the grapes, you, you think to yourself, well, that, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the harvest this year has not been as, as good as previous years, and so... Uh, let's take into account, let's see how much money we can make. And uh, we know we have to set 10% aside for God. Uh, but uh, before we do that, let's make sure 
that in all of the other areas, once everything is sold and all the expenses are met, that we're, we're going to be able to, to give that 10% to God. And God says, before you do any of that, you bring the first fruit. You get the total, bushels, whatever, how, whatever the measure was, and you bring to God the first fruit. Not the last fruit. Not to God. We don't bring the leftovers. We bring the first. Now, here, the whole idea here is that, look, God is to be the priority of our lives. In their heart and in their minds, they ought to say, hey, look at the great har harvest that comes from God. And God, before our own prophet, is the most important part of our lives. We wouldn't be in this land were it not for God. We wouldn't have an increase were it not for God. Somebody say, well, look, uh, Pastor, I I'm a self-made person because I am smart. Well, who gave you the brain that you had? Do you, do you recognize that God can shut off that brain any moment? Uh, I I've have too many examples. Just uh, recently there was a pastor, was a few years back, but he... Uh, he ate something or drank something and a bacteria went up in his brain and his brain completely shut off. No brain activity whatsoever. See, there are certain diseases and sicknesses and so can you imagine losing all that ability at once? And so here we have to say, well, wait a minute. God is the one who has given me the power. You remember the warning that he gives to the children of Israel before they enter the promised land, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and chapter 11? When you go into the land and when your houses are full and when you're increased and you have all this blessing, beware of your heart that your heart doesn't say, by our might and our power we have gotten these things. God says, beware lest you do that. And he says, if you do that, it is that your heart has gone astray. Let's turn there, since I mentioned it. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Notice in chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, notice verse 7. I want you to notice here we, we connect the idea of the, the first fruit with those who acknowledge God first. He says in Deuteronomy 8, 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depth that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil, and honey, a land wherein uh, thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, verse 10, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. By the way, one of the ways you bless God is by bringing the first fruit to him. You acknowledge him. He says, verse 11, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast 
build goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine what? Thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And so what he says is, you, know, you, you have to bless God. You have to acknowledge God in your life. You have to see that this all comes from God. And so the, the fact that this is a judgment, that you have to bring the first fruit to God, he says, I know what the potential of the human heart is. And what I need you to do as a practice is to recognize God first and don't delay. Because the moment you do not acknowledge God first and you begin to delay, delay eventually will mean disobedience bringing no fruit at all. And saying this doesn't come from God, it comes from my own hand. So he speaks of not reviling, he speaks of not delaying. But finally he says, Be holy in verse 31, And ye shall be holy men unto me, neither shall ye eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field. Ye shall cast it to the dogs. Now we know that the nation of Israel were, was, uh, was given uh, dietary restrictions. Those dietary restrictions, we understand in the New Testament, do not apply to the New Testament believer. But throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God reminded the children of Israel that they were to be a peculiar people. And so God set forth some things that applied to them that did not apply to anybody else. As a matter of fact, concerning the beast that was uh, devoured by another beast, he says you can't partake of it, but in the book of Deuteronomy, he says you can sell it to somebody who's not a child of Israel. And so when we look at this, we say, well, what does that mean? God wanted to set His people apart. He wanted them to be holy men unto me. And I want us to see here that holiness here is connected to God. He says, ye shall be holy men unto me. <laughs> In other words, it's not, it's not about you being different than everybody else. It's about you being holy to me. And so the child of Israel will say, well, why can't I partake of this me? Now certainly, we see in the book of Leviticus, chapter 17, he mentions the, um, the beast that dieth to itself. He says in Leviticus 17, 15, And every soul that eateth that which dieth of itself, or that which was torn with beast, whether it be one of your country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be clean until the even, then shall he be clean. Now it's interesting here, he doesn't say, if you do this right, in Leviticus, he doesn't say, you're going to die or there's any consequences, you've got to go bathe yourself. We understand on the, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, he says that only ye shall not eat the blood, ye shall pour it upon the earth as water. The children of Israel, they could eat meat, but there were certain restrictions. They couldn't eat the blood. By the way, that was given to, you remember, Noah. Thou shalt not eat the blood thereof. Uh, to the nation of Israel, there were dietary restrictions. We might say uh, today, um, you think about kosher meat. That there's a, a certain standard that the meat goes through. For example, the meat, uh, the beast that was killed had to be killed in a specific fashion without suffering. 
It also has to have the blood drained out. And it needs to be cared for in a specific way. So it's not no meat. But here, the, uh, the beast that dies at the hand of another beast in the field that's been torn, uh, then the blood has not had the opportunity to be drained, but it's coagulated. That meat is not to be to be eaten. And I'm not going to go into all of the significance of that because we're going to revisit that when it comes to the sacrifices and the shedding of blood and the importance of that. But the point is God gave His people uh, some dietary restrictions because He wanted them to know that they needed to be set apart from all other people. But it's in the field. And nobody sees. Here's the mind of the child of Israel. He goes into a field and he sees a beast that's been attacked, but there's quite a bit of meat left on there. And in that moment he would know and recognize that, well, God has prevented me from doing that. And although it's okay for every other man out there who's not a child of Israel... Although it is okay for them, it's not okay for me. Because I am to be holy unto God. What God is simply teaching His people is that holiness is not just something that's done in behavior, right? In the negative sense. Well, don't strike someone. Don't afflict the poor. Don't afflict the fatherless. Don't do these things. Don't steal. Don't do these things against these people. But here God says... When it comes to this type of meat, don't touch it. Feed it to the dogs. The important thing is that ye shall be holy men unto me. The children of Israel were to think in terms of how have I been set apart? How have I been made distinct from all other people of the world? And by application today, we are also to be, according to the New Testament, a holy and peculiar people. There are things that um, we might do and not do in our lives that are not necessarily mentioned in the Scriptures. Let me give you one. Um... I believe, I believe that smoking defiles your body. But the Bible doesn't mention thou shalt not smoke. Correct? Doesn't mention that. But in the world where we are, we are to be nonetheless a peculiar people. And there are certain things we do by principle because we identify with God and there are certain things we do certain things we don't do because our identity is in God and we live not just by command but we also live by principle we live not just by commands we live by principles because of our identity with God and the world says well why don't you do this there's no command in the Bible not to do that well we don't do it because we're peculiar people were set aside and we not live just by command but we live also by the principles of God's word and so I believe that all these no consequences mentioned but the deal with the private matters of the heart 
We can't say, well, if you do this, you're going to die. No, he doesn't say that. But it doesn't lessen the implications. So as Christians today, we could apply what God holds in contempt. Let's make sure that our attitude is right towards those who are God's representatives, that we don't delay in our obedience to God, and that we desire above all else to be holy unto God. And I've said this before, but holiness, we think about separation. Separation is not from the world. Separation is to the Lord. We have to make that clear. Okay? Separation from the world is, well, here's what the world does, so I'm going to do the opposite. That's not the standard. Separation is not from the world. Separation is to God. And when we are holy unto God, God is our concern, then God makes us different than the world. See, that's, that's true biblical separation. Separation is not just from something, it's to something. But we are only pointed in one direction. If the world is over here, and we must be separated from here, and God is over here, and we are to be holy unto God, the pursuit of our lives is God. And our backs are against, are behind, and the world's behind us. We don't pay attention to the world. We pursue God. And God is the one who separates us. God is the one who sanctifies us. God is the one who, who makes us different as He conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. And that's where the focus of the Christian is.